Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Man, I had to run back right at the last second and get my microphone because normally I put it on before and I'm like, oh, man, I'm supposed to have a mic. I'm out of practice. It's, it's uh, been a little while since I've been here. Good to see you guys. Uh, my name's Dan. If I don't know you, welcome to Cedar Home again. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, please go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And good morning to everybody online, too. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be back with you this morning. The past three weeks, my family and I have been in Wyoming uh, visiting our siblings and parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and uh, one of the highlights of our trip was getting to meet our two new nephews, uh, Ethan and Kyle, who were both born in the past six months. And also getting to see my nephew Eli and have him whoop up on me on the tennis court. And so he is doing great. And we thank you for all the prayers for them and their family. Um, I also want to thank Dan and Dylan and Chris for all the time and energy they put into preparing messages and for preaching while I was gone. It's a lot of work. Uh, Before I left on vacation, uh, we began the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Remember that the the Apostle Paul was describing the awesome way that God ended the hostility between God and humanity and the way that God ended hostility between different races of humans. Through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, God reconciles enemies to himself and God reconciles enemies to one another. And now God graciously invites all people of the earth to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus and become part of God's new man. His one new man. This this new man is also called the church or the body of Christ. And as members of of God's new man, uh, this unity that we now have with him and with one another, it's it's a beautiful unity God has made. It's an everlasting unity unity and it is a spiritual unity that we have and and here in Ephesians 4 um, 1 which I better turn to if I ask you to do that too Um, here in Ephesians 4 uh, verses 1 through 3 Paul uh, through Paul the Holy Spirit is urging us to do something and he urges us it says to eagerly maintain the unity that he's given us Eagerly maintain our unity. Paul writes uh, in verses one to three, uh, for this, uh, let me see, yes. I, sorry, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So God, through Paul, is urging each one of us to to keep our focus on Jesus. He's urging each one of us to rely on the power of Jesus, not on the power of our flesh, so that we can live lives like Jesus lived, live lives that are, are worthy of this calling that Jesus has given to us, and live lives for the glory of Jesus' name. And that is how we will maintain our unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
In his classic book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer writes, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to one another? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Likewise, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So if each of us seeks to tune our own hearts in our own actions and our own words to Jesus and to his words, then we will maintain the unity that Jesus died to give us. And now in verses four to six, Paul lists seven realities that unite us in Christ. And before you look at it, you're doing a good job looking at the word, that's good. But before you look at that, I want you to create your own list, okay? So I'm gonna give us 30 seconds, and I want us just to brainstorm the main things in our mind that unite us in this room, believers in this church, and that unite us with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Okay, think about the main things that unite us. 30 seconds, go. Okay, maybe that's about 30 seconds, I don't know. But uh, now we're gonna compare our own list that we just kind of came up with in our heads with Paul's list here. And let's read Paul's list in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So here we read seven essential things that unite Christians spiritually and eternally. Now before we look more closely at each of these seven things that Paul lists, it is worth noting what Paul didn't list. I think that's really interesting. What did the Lord not put on the list of the first seven things? Well, God has not united us, obviously, with one spoken language as Christians, right? Well, I was thinking within an hour of here, we have brothers and sisters in Christ having church services right now in Spanish, in Ukrainian, in Russian, in Greek, in Chinese, in Korean, and many other languages. Praise God. Uh, God also hasn't united Christians by one nation on earth. God has called people into his family from all across the globe. In fact, you know, as, as I was thinking about this, some of the highlights of my life have been worshiping Jesus with other believers 
from other parts of the world in other parts of the world. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a privilege to worship with believers in, in metal shacks, hot metal shacks in Swaziland, uh, in public schools in Belize, um, in cinder block churches in Mexico, and in a circle on the grass of the Yakima Indian Reservation. Obviously, God has also not united us by one race or by one skin color. God is the maker of every race. He is the maker of every color of skin. And God wants all of those races and all of those skin colors in his body. God has not united us in, in Christ. He hasn't united us in Christ because uh, we represent together one social class, one strata. Uh, God has, has not united us um, because we're all at the same level in the eyes of the world. See, our church and Jesus' church around this planet, it has poor people, it has wealthy people, it consists of middle-class people. We have brother, brothers and sisters in Christ who live in slums, people who live in tents, people who live in landfills, people who live in large cities, people who live in the countryside, and people who live in the suburbs. So it's not our social class or our houses that unite us. And God has not united us in Christ by, by one political party. God has not united us by one music style that we all love. He hasn't united us by one type of schooling that we can all agree on for our kids for this fall. He hasn't united us by one right way to do church life together. We figured it out and all the other churches are wrong, no. God hasn't united us by our hobbies. He hasn't united us by our favorite sports teams. He hasn't united us by our age brackets. According to Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, the seven essential things that unite us in Christ are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. So let's look at each of these seven things briefly and talk about how they unite us in Christ. First, we share one body. Now kids, kids look up, okay? Um, and adults, if you want, this is fun. If you have a quarter, pull a quarter out of your pocket or a nickel or a dime or a penny. Some of you might be credit only and that's okay. Um, or debit only. But if you actually use this old stuff, um, I want you to get a coin out. If you have a coin, lift it up. I want to see who's following me. Okay, several people are, okay, good, good, good. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to flip your coin to the back side. And I want you to look at the back of your coin and I want you to look for a short phrase written in a foreign language. Okay. Have you found it yet? Raise your hand if you find it. I'll give you a second, okay. Back there, you guys getting, it, getting these? Okay. Any kids wanna shout it out? Can you see what it says? Who wants to shout it out? I know it's kinda weird. Good job, okay. E pluribus unum, so it's, that's a Latin phrase. And you will find it on every American coin on the back, and that phrase means out of many, one. 
Out of many, one. So our country adopted that phrase about 250 years ago when our 13 original colonies united together. Out of many colonies came our one nation. And that phrase, e pluribus unum, out of many, one, you know, it could also be a great motto for the body of Christ. Because God has called us from many nations, from many races, from many different life situations and circumstances. God has made us one body when we came to him and trusted him as Lord and Savior. And so it's important to remember, like Paul says here, that Jesus Christ only has one body. He only has one body, not a thousand bodies, not 500 bodies, not 10 bodies. And if you are a Christian, then you are a valuable part of his body. How do you know that? Because he says it. Several places in the New Testament, Romans, Corinthians, okay? And we'll get to that in future weeks. But Jesus, we read, is himself the head of the body. He is our head. And as the parts of his body, parts are interconnected, right? They affect each other. And, and because we're all interconnected, that means it will always be in our own best interest to love others in the body and to take care of others in the body and to encourage others in the body because what happens to the other parts in our body affects us, whether we like it or not, because we are connected to them, God says. And so as individual members of Christ's body, it is in our own best interest to take joy in making one another joyful in Christ. Husbands and wives, it is in your best interest to take joy in making your spouse joyful in Christ. That's how our body will be built up. And that's how we will be built up as individual members of this body because we are all interconnected and there's only one body. Second, we share one spirit. So there's one spirit of God. There's only one spirit of God. And it's interesting to me here in this list that Paul, he mentions each person in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he mentions the spirit first, which I just thought was a little unusual because if you think about it, very often the Holy Spirit is mentioned last in the lineup of the Trinity, right? So why does Paul mention the spirit first here? Well, In verse three, Paul just called the unity we have the unity of the Spirit, capital S. So the person of God who actively lives inside each of us believers, the person of God who is uh, empowering each of us to live for God's glory, to obey him more and more, The person inside us of God who is helping us to love one another is the Holy Spirit. And think about this. The Holy Spirit living in you, Christian, is the exact same Holy Spirit living in your brother or sister in Christ sitting by you. You look around this room. It's the same spirit inside them that's inside you. That's amazing. Only God could do that. And so what this means is God has created 
um, in each of us a totally unique spirit, small s, so you have a body and you have a small s spirit that, that is you and that is animating your physical body, but at the same time, all of us in Christ have the exact same Holy Spirit, capital S, living inside us. <laughs> it should make our jaws drop. I mean, this is reality. This is what God has done. This is how God is sustaining unity among us through his indwelling Holy Spirit who spiritually and eternally fills us. It's amazing. All the members of his body are filled with his spirit. And so what this means then is that as followers of Jesus, we say no to every spirit that is not the spirit of Christ. We do not invite other spirits to guide us. We do not invite other spirits to live in us. When Jesus left the earth, he was very clear he would send only one spirit. He would send one counselor, one guide. His name is the Holy Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit. And so as individual Christians, we all depend on one spirit. We all are filled by one Holy Spirit. And we are united only by the same Holy Spirit of the Lord. He is who unites us. And third, we share one hope. This, this one hope that we share in Christ, it, it's not a, uh, an ungrounded optimism that hopes that things are gonna be better in the future for us. It's not just positive thinking. In the New Testament, the word hope describes a confident and joyful anticipation of the awesome future that God is definitely gonna bring about. It's anticipation, it's not this empty hope. It's like, I can't wait to see, to, for the day when God brings everything to fruition. Because everything that God promises, he always makes happen. And he makes a lot of promises. And he makes a lot of great promises for us in Christ. That's good news. History proves that God has a perfect track record of fulfilling his promises in amazing ways. And, and, and Paul says here in verse four that, that when God called us to himself through the gospel of Jesus, what was God calling us to? He was calling us to hope. And, and God was, was not just calling us to this abstract hope that we can't really get our fingers on. God was calling us to a living hope is what the New Testament says. The living hope is Jesus Christ, God incarnate himself who has already come into space-time history and who has already displayed his matchless promise-keeping power by removing God's wrath from us and then by defeating the power of Satan, sin, and hell and death. Jesus has done it. He is risen and he is our living hope. And so what this means for us, those of us united to Jesus, to one another, is that just as Jesus was raised physically in glory, his resurrection body. It means you too, Christian, one day will be physically raised by the Lord in a glorious new body, which will be impervious to pain. 
impervious to sin and sickness and deterioration. Praise God, right? And, and it means that just as Jesus was lifted up to enjoy heavenly glory, so also Jesus will lift you up to enjoy heavenly glory with him someday. And just as Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him, so also what it means is that by the power of the Spirit, God is going to empower us to carry our crosses for him. He's going to give us the grace we need to endure suffering in this life with a confident hope at the same time that eternal joy is awaiting for us just on the other side. And we have joy in Christ right now, obviously, but the fulfillment of this joy is coming in a bigger level than we could possibly imagine. And God promises you will drink that joy of the Lord in its fullness in due time, according to his sovereign timing and plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, he has a plan, and you're gonna drink the fullness of his joy in due time. Thank God that we have that rock-solid hope that that's the direction we're going, <laughs> right? Um, now, <clears throat> if you're listening today and, and um, if you have not yet sensed your need for forgiveness of the Lord, if you have not turned away from those things that the Lord abhors, according to Scripture, if you've not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus and in his love for you and in the hope that he wants to give you, then this hope is not yours yet, okay? But this hope is what we at this church desperately want for you. And this hope is what your maker, the God over all, wants for you. He loves you. And so what he says is, turn today. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your way of doing things. You need to turn to a rock-solid hope because it's not in you or in this world. Turn to Jesus. Trust in him and enjoy this hope now with his body. That's what the Lord says. Fourth, we share one Lord, one Lord. And Lord here refers to God the Son, Jesus Christ. He is, Jesus is the one and only. That's what John calls him, I love that title. He's the one and only. He is the, the only Lord and Savior by which all people on earth can have peace with God. And as Lord, what is a Lord? Think about that. I mean, that's not a word we use a whole lot. Um, but as Lord with capital L, the Lord Jesus is also, he is our king, okay? He is the one above all political rulers. Jesus is the one, uh, he, he is our master. He is our provider. He's our teacher. He's our rabbi. And what does he tell us to do? If he has this position of authority over us, he tells us out of gracious kindness to tune our hearts to his heart. He 
He says, you need to tune your instrument to my heart. You need to tune your words to my words. Tune your way of thinking to my way of thinking. Tune your actions to my actions. He says, I'm the role model you need and the role model you should follow. Jesus' words are the words that we should believe as true in a world that floods us with more words than ever in the history of the world. We believe Jesus' words is true. Jesus' heart for God, Jesus' heart for other people is the heart that we want and need for ourselves. That's what Jesus says. Now, before being our example, though, that's all about Jesus being our example, and he is. But it is very important that first, before he's just an example for us, that Jesus is the object of our faith. He's not just a guy we want to be like. He is first our Savior and Lord. He is the Lord, capital L, who left heaven, who came to our turf, which he made for each one of us. Jesus is the one who preaches good news of eternal life to each of us, of hope. Jesus is the one who took our sin upon himself. Jesus is the Lord who suffered and died for us. This is not the kind of king the world wants. This is why Jesus was rejected. What kind of king is by all worldly appearances obliterated by his enemies and crucified in the most shameful way humanity could think of? Only Jesus. He flipped all of the world and Satan's powers on its head and he defeated it all by rising above over it. That's what Jesus did. And in Christ, we get to be united to that victory. We get to share, we, we get to share in the victory with this Lord. Isn't that awesome? It's great news. Praise God for this. Now, Christian, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a sweet memory here. Hopefully that you have. Do you remember a specific time when God first blew you away with his love for you? Do you remember when you first believed that Jesus loved you so much that he actually died for your sin? Do you remember when you first believed that you had eternal life now with Jesus Christ? God does not want us ever to forget that or to let that fire grow cold. Don't ever forget the first love for Jesus that God put in your heart. Love for Jesus, okay? Love for Jesus first, before his church even. Before anything else, love for Jesus. Now, why this is important is because, and specifically to this audience that in Ephesians, is that the Apostle John would write to this, these people a few decades later after Paul wrote this letter because the Ephesians had lost their first love for Jesus and for one another. And so God's word is, don't forget your first love for Jesus. Don't forget the realization God gave you that his, 
disposition towards you, the way he looks at you, the, way, the filter through which he approaches you is one of love and grace. This is a God that you want to know. This is a God who has your back. This is a God who you want to follow and that you can trust completely. Jesus is the one Lord, the one Savior, and he is the one that we share. Isn't that awesome? We share him together. Fifth, we share one faith. In verse five, this word faith, it, uh, it not only refers to uh, our mutual belief in Jesus Christ, but it also refers to our shared belief in all of God's teachings found in his word, the faith. We, we share in the faith. We, we share faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, right? We, uh, we share one faith one belief in the holiness of God, in the righteousness of God, in the justice of God, in the love of God. Uh, we share one faith in the miracles of God described in all of scripture. We share one faith that eternal life is only available by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. It's not by any of our works and it's not by the name of any other God. The faith that we share as Christians is, is not a faith in man-made laws, which change often, as we know. <laughs> it's not faith in man-made constitutions or promises and empty pledges of men. The faith that we share as Christians is in the one and only true God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his salvation, and in his perfect and holy word which never changes. Amen. Sixth, we share one baptism. And baptism here uh, could refer either to our spiritual baptism into Christ when we first trusted in him, or it could refer to the physical act of baptism uh, that represents our spiritual baptism into Christ. And I don't see why it can't refer to both. Uh, the point here is that when we turn away from sin and when we turn to Jesus in faith, Jesus baptizes, he immerses, he, what is, uh, baptize means to dip. He dips us into his own death and resurrection. So we are immersed into Christ. Our, our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. And we become united to Jesus and to one another, and we are risen with Christ. Okay? So uh, to celebrate and declare our union with Christ, which God has graciously given us, we then obey Jesus' command to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which he commanded all his disciples to do. So, so that means that for the, the disciples of Jesus, baptism is a non-negotiable. Uh, baptism uh, is not the means by which one is united to Christ. Baptism is rather the visible profession that he, a person has been united to Christ through faith. Okay? And what this means, what Paul is saying here, is that all of us who are in Christ share that sacred baptism into Christ. We have been both baptized into Christ through faith in him, 
and we have professed our union with Christ and his church through physical baptism. In seventh, we share one God and Father. In verse six, Paul says, how many gods are there? There's only one God. And God is the Father of all. Which in some contexts in the Bible can mean God is the Father in one sense of all people on earth. But in this context, Paul's saying that God is the Father in a special, redemptive, loving, Abba Father, Daddy way to all who trust in Jesus. Okay? So, (laughs) think about this though. You got to read scripture. We have to read scripture to understand how big, holy, awesome God is. I'm, I'm working the way, my way through the Old Testament and I'm just blown away. What he's saying is that this God that we share is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of David. He's the same God who still is alive. He is the God who we worship. God is our Father also because he's called us to himself. He's called us into his family because he loves us. He is our heavenly father who now looks at us right now and forever, not with condemnation, but with grace, love, acceptance. Why? Why does he look at us that way? Because we come to him through his son, Jesus, who the Father sent for us. We come in Jesus' name, in Jesus' power, not in our name and in our power. Now then Paul adds some, some interesting, amazing descriptions here, which, which would have been controversial in his day and which uh, in many ways are still controversial today. Paul says that the one God of the universe, he says three things about him. He says he's over all people. That's not too radical. Even the Jews, the Muslims would believe that God reigns over all people. Uh, and then Paul says that God is through all. So it's kind of taking it a step down here. And it's not entirely crazy even for the Jews to believe that either. I mean, the Bible says that throughout history, God has worked his will through many different peoples, uh, through believing people, unbelieving people, pagan people, etc. But then Paul adds one small Greek word that's very important, in. Paul says that the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of David is in those of us who trust in Christ. What? Think about that. How could that be? It doesn't, now this is not pantheism or panentheism, which, which is the belief that everything is God or that God is inside of all things. That's not this belief. It means that God is in us, but he is separate from us at the same time. We're united to him, but we are not God ourselves. okay? It means that the holy God of the universe who is, I mean, think about it. He is so holy that anybody who sees him must die, will die, because his glory is too awesome. It's incredible. The the God of the universe, for our sake, throughout scripture, he manifests himself in clouds and in 
uh, pillars of fire so that we are not destroyed. This God now lives inside the followers of Jesus. The flame in the temple is not just there anymore, but now it's over the heads of the believers, representing that God lives inside of us. Yes, <laughs> yeah, God the Father has so redeemed everyone who comes to him in Christ. God the Father has so spiritually purified those who come to him in Christ that God the Father not only dwells with us forever like he did the Jews, but he actually lives in us now and forever through his Holy Spirit. This is amazing. This is a whole new level of intimacy with God. Praise God, Christians, that this is the God, the Father, that we share together. What a unity. God has graciously allowed us then to share one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Praise God. So Christians, in a, in a time a day and age that tempts us to divide over so many things. Let's not forget this. Let's not forget these precious things that God has given us that actually spiritually, eternally unite us in Christ. Okay, let's not take them for granted, even though we've read this verse maybe many times. Let's not belittle these things as if they were not significant. Let's not our, allow ourselves to no longer be in awe of these things and of God. I mean, that's the song we sang this morning, right? I stand in awe of you. We need to continue to live lives in awe of God and of the grace and mercy he's shown us, of the love he's shown us, and the blessings he's given us. So let's hold these things sacred. Let's, let's hold them with thankful hearts. And as parts of God's body, which he's brought us into, and what, what's he calling us to do? He wants us to encourage one another, to build up one another, not to tear one another down, not to destroy one another, to encourage each other, to help one another enjoy Jesus more <laughs> and his love more. That means we've got to have our eyes on Jesus and we need to pray that by the power of his spirit, he will help us to be like he is, to show much forgiveness to one another, to show much grace to one another. You're not perfect, and neither am I. God knows that. That's why we need a savior. And Jesus has graciously been that savior for us. So let's keep the most important things, the most important things. And together, let's lift high the name of Jesus as we seek to live individual lives and a corporate life together as a church, united in Christ, and to live lives that are worthy of his name. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word you've given us today. God, these blessings are so great. We, we want to continue to stand in awe of you, of your holiness, of um, your blessings 
of the mercy you have shown us, the forgiveness you've shown us, who have rebelled against you, yet you stand with open arms and call your people to you. Thank you, God. Thank you for being so gracious to, uh, to, to us. And, and we pray, God, for those who are here, hearing this message, for our loved ones, our family members, our neighbors, our friends, our community, our nation, our world. For those, God, who haven't yet been convicted of their sin and their need for a Savior and for the Lord, that you would convict them through the good news of the gospel that they would turn to you and that they might have the eternal hope that you have given us to share. We love you. We pray this for the glory of your name. Amen. All right. Hey, so good to see you guys. Thank you for joining us online. We love you. And um, we appreciate your prayers. As you know, I was praying this morning with some people and, and, uh, and patience. It's August 16th as we, as we look forward to the fall and pray about just God's wisdom for our body. How, what does church life look like for us during this time? And I would be lying to tell you, and you would be able to see right through me if you could say, oh, that guy's got all the answers. He knows it all. Well, no church in town has all the answers. Even as pastors, we're trying to figure this out together. And so we appreciate your prayers as we all do life together and seek God's will for our church, okay? Love you. Have a great week.